Okay, so um, I thought what we would do tonight, just uh, uh, out of convenience for me, uh, and obviously that's what it's all about, is my <laughs> convenience, um, is uh, there's an article which I'm writing for an upcoming Midwest Base Hurrah publication. Uh, and since I was on the topic of uh, one of the topics which is going to be in there today, so I figured I might as well go ahead and do it. You get to see the long version of it as opposed to the couple of paragraph version, which will be in the uh, in the publication. So in the event that you want to read in the publication, so now would be the time to sign off and hold off. It's not going to be published this week because uh, I didn't finish yet, but in an upcoming week. So the topic is going to be... Um, there is a a restriction against, uh, as everybody knows, a restriction against um, uh, filing a claim against a fellow Jew in secular court, an ister which we called erkos, and one of the tricky parts of that, one of the uh, the difficult issues which the post can um, struggle with in many ways, is what happens when. You need to go ahead and you, you're not even you. you we, everybody knows that you're not going to collect anything from the uh, uh, from the defendant directly. You're going to file the case, and the case is going to be heard by the courts. And in the event that the plaintiff wins, so the insurance company is going to is going to make the payout. Very often, car accidents and whatnot. Sometimes homeowners insurance. We're, we're actually going to talk about the homeowners insurance one. So sometimes. Uh, you know, if there's a slip and fall because somebody didn't shovel uh, their uh, their sidewalk, so there's a chances that you could go after the person's homeowner's insurance, but you can't go after the homeowner's insurance. You can't go after the insurance directly. You have to actually sue that other person, and then the homeowner's insurance will will make the other uh, payment. So, is that something which is allowed? It's something which is not allowed. So, we're going to try and explore that, and we're going to begin with a specific scenario. And the specific scenario is. That you go ahead. Actually, I'll read to you the the uh, the the most of this is going to be primarily from a sefer called Meshiv Bahalacha. Meshiv Bahalacha was written by Rav Yechiel Tauber. He is from the Machol Lahora in Muncie. For those who may be familiar with uh, that uh, that organization, so he says the question he reads is as follows: Mishinichnas the Beschavero. So you walk into a friend's house. And the guest flips on one of the toys, which we're not, are we're not seeing what you're saying. We're not seeing what you're saying. I'm reading from the safe, this is not on the okay. Got so you go ahead and you slip on the stairs where the uh, where the toys are, and the guest breaks his leg. So they need to they'll need a surgery. They need PT. They need all sorts of teas. Afterwards, in order to uh, to recover, Madino. So what's halacha? Does the homeowner have to pay for the medical bills for the person who tripped and broke his leg on the host's uh, children's toys? Okay, and then the second part of that is going to be the insurance. So the first thing is going to be whether or not, from a halachic perspective, does the homeowner have liability for the guest who slipped on a toy and fell. So those of you who are up to date in Dafyomi, or those of you who are familiar with uh, with halachas of Nizikin, so this would certainly sound like a case of bore. You put there's a, a hazard, there's a, a something which is out where people are walking around, 
So that would seem to be a classic case of a bore. A bore is not only a, a, a pit which is dug into the street, but even a hazard which is, a, uh, which is resting on the street could also qualify as a bore. And the question is, will there be liability in this case? Okay. So here we have, uh, you should have on the, uh, the, the page in front of you there, on the, uh, the, the screen share. So we said, this is from Chosha Mishpat, Simen Tafyud Beis, Sif Beis. We say, Let's say you went ahead and you put out a jar in the street, but it's in a location where you're allowed to put that, uh, that jar out. What would that be? Let's say you are in front of the aisle of the olive press uh, factory. So everybody knows that in front of the factory, that's where the finished jars of oil are placed in order to be picked up by the delivery guys to go ahead and make the deliveries. So anytime you drive by this olive press, so there are always jars out in front of the in front of the building. So in such a case where you went ahead and you put out a jar in a location where it's common and expected for, to be there, and somebody walks by and ends up tripping on one of those jars and breaks the jar, so chayef. So that person, the one who tripped on the jar and broke the jar of oil, so not only is he now all oily and greasy, but now he's going to have to pay for the damage to the jar. Now, and this is going to be the more specific case which we are discussing, let's say not only did he go ahead and trip on the jar, but the the passerby, the pedestrian, went ahead and was injured by the jar. So he tripped on it, and he was injured by the jar. Baal hakad patr. So the owner of the jar is exempt. Mipnei shahayilol Because as a pedestrian, when you're passing by an olive-pressing uh, store, an olive-pressing factory, so you should know that there's always going to be stuff out in front of the store. And being that you always know there's going to be stuff out in front of the store, you should have watched where you were going. If you didn't bother to watch where you're going and you ended up be becoming injured, so that's too bad, so sad on you, the pedestrian, and you can't hold anybody else accountable for that. And the Aruch HaShochan explains, he's going to repeat the halacha, but he's also going to add explanation along the way. He says, So you put out your jar in a place where you have permission. Like in front of the olive press store. So if because there are times when they're manufacturing jars and they have such an abundance of jars of oil, that they go ahead and they place it on the street in front. It's not and it's not an unusual occurrence. Or it may very well be in the marketplace where you put it off to the side a little bit, but it's in a location where it's common that uh, sellers go ahead and will place their commodities, they'll place their jars or their boxes. Now, the first halacha mentioned by Shulchan Aruch was that you go walking, somebody goes walking by, they trip on one of those jars and they break it, chayev. So the pedestrian is going to be chayev, he's going to have to pay for the jar in that case. Why? Now here comes his explanation. The Adam Although generally we assume, and this is why there's a general liability for digging a bore in Rishus Arabin, 
is because we generally assume that people don't watch where they're going. People aren't looking down at street level when they're walking. They're looking ahead, so they don't necessarily see where they're they are going. And therefore, if one if somebody digs a bore, or if somebody goes that and puts a hazard in the middle of the street, so that person is going to be liable. But in this case, one is going to be exempt. Why? Because when one is walking in a place where you know that frequently jars are left out on the sidewalk or whatnot, so you should be watching where you're going. You know that there's suffrages out there. And if you know that there's suffrages out there, so you should expect that the, that the stuff is there, you should be watching where you're going. Being that people have permission, and they regularly put their boxes or their jars out over there. So therefore, since you should have anticipated that there would be jars on the sidewalk where you were walking, and you didn't bother to watch and you broke something, so so the person who broke it is going to be high. Our case, however, is this last line. Uh, sorry, not this line yet. Therefore, if the person did not watch where he was going and he broke something, so that is basically negligence. May not be outright negligence, but it borders on negligence, and that's why there's going to be liability. Then And then we say, certainly in the event that the person who is walking becomes injured on one of those jars, so the owner of the jar is going to be exempt because he had permission to go ahead and put the jar out there. The pedestrian should have watched where he was going. He didn't bother watching where he was going. That does not create a state of liability on the jar owner because the other person tripped and fell on his jar. And the Meshav Halacha says regarding this, he says, that the same thing is going to be true. The same principle is true. If you're walking around in a house that has little children, so it's very frequent and very common that there's going to be toys on the floor. It could be a ball, it could be a marble, it could be a Lego, it could be all sorts of different things. It could be all of those things simultaneously. They could all be on the floor. And therefore, when going up the stairs in a home with children, so you better watch where you're going. Make sure that there's nothing on the stair that could cause you to slip and fall. And therefore, the and therefore the homeowner, from a halachic perspective, the homeowner is not liable for the injury to his guest, even though he tripped on a hazard which is left on the stairs. Because as long as it's common and frequent and expected for stuff to be there, so that is not going to be able to create liability on the homeowner. Okay. So that is if we were living in a purely halachic society and they were to go, the uh, the the guests were to file a din Torah against the homeowner, so the uh uh the uh the guest would lose that suit. He would lose he would not uh, successfully be able to make the uh, the claim that he has owed money for his injury, and it really wouldn't make a difference. It just becomes more dramatic uh emotionally, but it doesn't make a difference whether the injury required a band-aid or whether the injury required surgery or whether it required multiple surgeries plus a bunch of PT and it costs tens of thousands of dollars if not more than that. It doesn't make a difference because once we say that the, uh, the guest took a watch where he was going 
once we say that the guest should have watched where he was going, so we cannot cre- uh, transfer liability onto the homeowner. Okay. But now, as we all know, so let's say it's a circumstance where you are the homeowner, and uh, the guest says, listen, I'm going to follow a suit against you. I'm going to bring you to Basin because uh, I was injured, and it cost me lots of money. And you say to your friend, listen, I, I love you very much, but I was at this great cheer on a Thursday night, one uh, one time in uh, in January, and I learned that, that uh, you're not going to be able to collect successfully in Basin because of this, because it's not considered to be a bore. And since it's not considered to be a bore, I don't have any liability whatsoever. And if you bring the case to Basin, you're going to lose. It's a waste of your time, my time, the Diana's time. It's not worth it. So the guy says, harumph. Then he says, but wait, don't you have homeowner's insurance? Maybe I could file a case against your homeowner's insurance. And that way I'll be able to recover for all of the injury and the surgeries and the therapy and the emotional uh, damage and whatnot. And I will be able to uh, retire to the Cayman Islands somewhere, or at least New Buffalo. And can I go ahead and go after your uh, your insurance? So now the question is, is that so? So you are going to say, well, I hear you. I, I, I appreciate what you what you would like to do. I appreciate the creativity in that. But in order for you to collect for my homeowner's insurance, we're going to have to go to secular court. You can't file a claim against my homeowner's insurance in Basin. My homeowner's insurance, certainly Allstate is certainly not coming to Basin. They may care. They may be the good hands people, but they're not the based in people. And therefore, the only way to go ahead and do this successfully or effectively would be to go to court. The person says, well, being that you're not going to have to pay anyways, it's going to be your homeowner's insurance is going to pay. Maybe I can file the case in court and we won't consider it to be two Jews adjudicating a matter in secular court. We're just going to look at it as if I am filing this case against your homeowner's insurance. And that should be perfectly acceptable to do in secular court. So can we look at it from that perspective or not? Inquiring minds want to know. So here we have the next source. Source four, this is again, the Meshav Halacha. So he writes, So he says that to file an insurance claim uh, in secular court, even though it's it's going to be on the 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 paperwork in court, it's going to be Jew versus Jew, it's going to be Schwartz versus Nussbaum, but nonetheless, there's not going to be a violation of going to Erkos in this case. Why? Because There's no way I could go ahead and file a homeowner's uh, claim against your homeowner's insurance without naming you to the suit. I can't sue Allstate directly. It has to be that I'm going after you, and then you happen to be insured, so your insurance, which we're going to explore later, your insurance is going to go ahead and cover that. But I can't file the claim. I can't name the, uh, Allstate as the defendant and file against them directly. Uh, and therefore, going to secular court, when that's the only way to be able to get the money from the insurance, this is not considered to be giving honor and respect to other law systems above halacha, insurance because it's known that you cannot file the insurance claim. Once again, there's our favorite uh, pastime, which is uh, transliterating English into Hebrew letters. So you cannot go ahead and pursue the matter, file a suit against insurance in a din Torah in uh, in, in basin. 
and he said to look at the base Yitzchak over there in Choshen Mishmet Lamedal. I looked over there and I couldn't find anything. But it's a very mistaber thing. It's a very logical thing which he is saying over here. They are, since the whole Isser of going to secular court, of filing a claim in secular court, is because you should have gone to Basin. And by choosing civil court over Basin, that shows that you value or you honor civil court more than Basin. And that is the ultimate in Chil Hashem. That's the ultimate in desecrating God's name because you're making it seem you are behaving in a way which shows that you value secular law above halacha and uh, demonstrating that you value secular law above halacha is terribly offensive to Torah and you're not allowed to do so. But in this case, the only way to get the insurance, the reason why I'm going to secular court, the reason why Nussbaum is filing the case against Schwartz in secular court is not because Nussbaum and Schwartz place greater value and have greater respect for civil the civil authorities over halacha, it's because at the end of the day, Schwartz's insurance is going to be covering this. And the only way to get Schwartz's homeowner's insurance to go ahead and cover these payments is if the case is filed in civil court. So my reason for going to civil court is not because I honor or respect them or value them more. It's because that's the only way to get to Allstate, the only way to get the insurance to go ahead and pay. And being that, everybody understands why the case is being filed in civil court rather than halacha. So this is not considered to be giving honor or respect to secular court above halacha, and therefore it would not generate the chil hasha. Okay, so fine. So I say, so I say to you, going back to our, the conversation that we're having, so I say to you, listen, let me go ahead and file the case in civil court. I want to go after your homeowner's insurance. We already worked out the issue in terms of air coast, that this is not going to be a violation of going to secular court, which is, as we mentioned, a very severe uh, prohibition restriction. But let me go ahead and do it, and that way I'll be able to collect from your insurance. And you say, I hear you. Um, I understand why this is not going to be a violation of our coast, but after talking about it with my lawyer and talking about it with my insurance friends, so they brought to my attention that if you file this suit and you win and you collect from my insurance company $100,000 for the surgeries and the therapies and the pain and distress and emotional and all of that stuff, and I'm going to need a service peacock to uh, to walk around with me for the next uh, three months. So mm-hmm. uh, that's going to cost a fortune, and um, that's going to cause my homeowner's insurance premiums to increase dramatically. And I don't want you to go ahead and file this suit against my homeowner's insurance because this is now going to cost me another two, three hundred dollars a month for my homeowner's insurance. And who says you're allowed to go ahead and file this suit in order to recover your hundred thousand dollars if that's going to generate for me uh, an increase in my uh, insurance premiums? Maybe you're not allowed to do that. That's a grumma benizak, and you're causing me a loss. And who says that in your desire? recover your $100,000, who says, if we know from the outset that that's likely to cause me a loss of two to $300 a month, who says you're allowed to do so? So this is a very important question. This, this particular question has all sorts of ramifications, but uh, we're going to see it just in this specific context. And this is a, uh, a matter which is discussed in the Chavis Yair. Chavis Yair is one of the earlier uh, Achronim. And he writes as follows. He says, I'm not sure. Um, I, I sometimes have a hard time. The, the Chavis Yar, uh, as, um, as 
colorful as his writing is, um, sometimes he's a little bit terse, and it's a little bit difficult to understand, but we will definitely get the gist of what he means to say. And the case is as follows. And the Chavis says, I remember an incident. I don't know what that is. He says that one of the Jewish um, um, uh, representatives had a din, had a, he filed a complaint against one of the non-Jewish senators. Let's just say something like that. So he had one of the Jewish city officials went ahead and filed a complaint, filed a claim against one of the non-Jewish governors. Heidelberg. And it was filed in secular court in Heidelberg, wherever that is. Imagine Germany. And when the Jews, the regular citizens, heard that one of the city representatives, who was Jewish, filed a case against the non-Jewish governor or the non-Jewish senator or somebody who's more powerful in court, so they became uh, seized with fear. And not only were the people in the county or in the state were they seized with fear, they were afraid of a, a backlash of anti-Semitism. But those who were under the jurisdiction of that non-Jewish defendant, the non-Jewish government official was a defendant, because the reason why they were particularly gripped with fear is is because he could go ahead and do, we'll just say for dramatic purposes, he could go ahead and make blood libels against any of them at any time, in any place. So he could just make accusations against them, and he could make their lives miserable. He could confiscate their property, he could put a Denver boot on their uh, on their car, he could do all sorts of different things that, that he wants. So therefore, the people were petrified that if you, Mr. Jewish city official, go ahead and continue with your, your, uh, your suit against this non-Jewish governor, so he's going to make our lives miserable, and what gives you the right to do that? And they spoke to him with a great request. In Gematria means with a cherry on top. And they went ahead and they cried about the, the matter. They please figure out some way to negotiate a settlement with him reach a, a, a negotiated settlement so you don't have to carry this through. Because he's already threatening to take revenge against us because you, Jewish city official, are filing this uh, this claim against him. So just drop the case. Find a settlement, just to settle for pennies on the dollar or something like that, but don't do something which is going to put all of us at risk. Please, please, please. And and they even offered to pay the Jewish city official some of his loss. We'll pay you. We can't pay you the entire amount that you're suing for, but we'll give you some of that money because our fear is, is that if you continue with this, it's going to be terrible for us and we don't want to take that risk. So just drop the case. We'll give you some money and don't cause us this harm. But, he said, said the Chavisyar, but here, the Chavis Yar, he's not buying any of this at all. 
And he says that to say to the city official, the Jewish city official, to Yavsid Chovo, that he should not pursue the money that the non-Jew uh, genuinely and authentically owes, owes him, Mitzad Haddin, that he has an obligation to drop the case, to drop the claim of the money which is owed to him, in order to prevent the other people from suffering a loss as a result of this um, senator, this non-Jewish senator taking revenge against others. Even if, there's an amazing thing the Chavisar is saying here. He says, even if the non-Jewish senator is threatening to throw all of the Jews out of his jurisdiction, He's just going to pick them all out. He's going to empty them out into uh, uh, and uh, take away their homes and just exile them from where they uh, where, where they live. Even if that is the threat, so the person does not have to drop halachically. He's not obligated to drop his claim against that non-Jewish senator in order to recover the money which is truly owed to him. They can't go ahead and force him to drop their case. And this is something which was repeated to them, that the people who were complaining, who wanted the suit to be dropped, this is what they were told by many gedolim b'torah, that you cannot expect somebody, you cannot obligate somebody to go ahead and drop his financial claim, because if you're concerned that there's going to be a boomerang effect, or that there may be some backlash which you may suffer from as a result of that, that's not his responsibility. It's not his responsibility to forego his 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 authentic claim. Excuse me, his real claim to money which is owed him because of the fear that the person, the uh, defendant in that case, may go ahead and take revenge against others that you don't have to forego. And therefore, the same thing is going to be true. Um, seemingly, the same thing is going to be true over here. That we're going to say to the, the plaintiff. So the plaintiff says, I want to go after your homeowner's insurance. And the uh, the uh, the homeowner says, I don't mind if you go if you go after my homeowner's insurance, but if that's going to cause my insurance premiums to increase, what gives you the right to go ahead and file your claim to recover the money from the insurance in the event that that's going to cause me a loss? So the answer we say to the homeowner is, is we're so sorry. But the Chavis Yara says that being that your guest has a genuine claim and that money actually is owed to him by the insurance, it's a valid claim, and uh, every court in the country would go ahead and grant the uh, the guest a, a an award. They would award him whatever amount it is for his doctor bills and all of that. So since his claim is genuine and it's something which, according to the facts, he would be able to collect, so you, the homeowner, can't say to him, you're not allowed to file that claim to collect $100,000 to cover your medical expenses and whatnot, because that's going to cost me money, because I don't have to go ahead and forego my claim, because there's going to be a, a, a ramification of that, a, 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 an outcome of that is going to be that you are going to suffer a loss. That's not my responsibility. I don't have to take that into account. Okay. So that means that right now it's sounding like I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to be able to go ahead and file that claim against the homeowner's insurance. We took care of the Erkos issue, the issue of going to secular court, and we took uh, we took care of the fact that there is a a possibility that you may suffer a loss as a result. But that also is not going to be my concern. So now 
we have another thing which we have to go ahead and we have to consider. Now he says, and here he comes with a chakira. Chakira meaning a uh, um, two different ways, an exploration of two different ways that one could look at the same thing. In other words, he says as follows. This is the Meshub HaHalach, this is a Tauber again. That when you go ahead and file against uh, your friend's homeowner's insurance, so so we can go ahead and we can look at this from two different perspectives. And we're going to see that these two different perspectives are not just theoretical perspectives, but it actually, there's enough to mean that it actually will be a halachic difference in terms of the outcome, depending on which perspective you ad- uh, adopt. Echad, the first perspective is that my claim is really against you. You're the homeowner. It was uh, there was something which happened. Uh, you should have gone ahead and cleared away the snow or, or the ice. You didn't do so. So I'm claiming that you owe me money because of the injury which I suffered on your property. But it happens to be that in the event that uh, that the, the case were to be filed in court. And the court would award me uh, whatever amount of money it is for the medical costs and whatnot. Mischayev, sorry, I should say Mamela. Mischayev Mamela, insurance, Asham Chobashal Balbais. So as soon as the court goes out and says that that uh, that uh, Schwartz is responsible to pay the medical, Nussbaum's medical costs, so immediately what that translates into is Schwartz is Chayev. But Schwartz has an arrangement with his insurance company that whenever Schwartz, whenever there's a settlement or a judgment against Schwartz for his homeowner's uh, policy, so all states is going to go ahead and cover. Because they take responsibility to cover whatever debt is incurred. They take responsibility to indemnify Schwartz for whatever, whatever award is granted against his property. That's one way of looking at it that the primary debt is really on Schwartz, and the insurance company is just covering his debt. But, says with power, the Yesha has very often base. We can explain it in a, from a second perspective. It's not as if Schwartz is Chayev, and the insurance company is going to cover Schwartz's debt. They're simply going to indemnify Schwartz for the amount that he owes, but rather we're going to look at it that Schwartz and Allstate are one and the same. And a judgment against Schwartz is a judgment directly against Allstate. So Allstate themselves directly owe the money to Nussbaum. It's not like uh, like when you go to the doctor's office that you owe the doctor the full, the full bill and whatever they collect from uh, in your insurance, so they'll be happy to collect from your insurance, but ultimately you're going to be responsible at the end of the day because it's your debt rather than the insurance. When the when the if there's a problem with the insurance, the doctor's office doesn't go after insurance; they go after you. So, do we say that that's the same thing which is happening with homeowners insurance, or do we say no that this is considered to be that you're filing the case directly against the insurance? Because the the commitment that the insurance company makes is that they are going to consider themselves fully responsible for whatever damages occurs on the property of their policyholder. Okay, so now it sounds like two different ways of looking at the exact, it is two different ways of looking at the exact same thing. What's the difference whether we say 
really Schwartz's Chayev and Allstate is just covering Schwartz's debt, or when Schwartz is Chayev, the insurance is also Chayev, they're, they're liable directly. So we say, So a difference between these two perspectives is, it will arise in a circumstance where, according to Halacha, Schwartz doesn't owe anything, like in our case with the toy on the stairs. So he said from a halachic perspective, so Schwartz does not owe Nusfam anything for breaking his leg on one of the toys on the stairs. But uh, according to secular law, they don't follow halacha. From their perspective, Schwartz is chayev to pay for Nusfam's injury. And now, uh, in the event that uh, Nussbaum successfully collects from Schwartz for the insurance, insurance, then Schwartz's insurance uh, premium is going to increase. So now we have a problem. So the problem we have over here is what's going to happen in this scenario where um, the halacha says you don't owe the money, but secular court says you do owe the money. You, Mr. Nussbaum, go ahead and file the case against Schwartz. And as a result of that, uh, you get an award. Nussbaum gets an award. And now Schwartz's premiums increase. Now he explains. So according to the first case, where you're filing your case, where Nussbaum is filing the case only against Schwartz. So what right does Nussbaum have to collect anything from Schwartz? Nothing at all. Because Halacha says that Schwartz, that, uh, Schwartz doesn't have to pay. Because Nussbaum should have expected that it was going to uh, that there was going to be a that there's going to be uh, toys on the stairs. It's only in secular court that we say that the owner is going to be chayev. And you have no choice because you can't uh, violate the uh, what the secular authorities, what the secular court said, the civil court says. Either way. Schwartz is going to have to pay, either he's going to have to pay out of pocket, or he's going to pay based on his uh, the the insurance company, which says that they're going to cover. The Hainuar insurance, which is the insurance. But Kevinchar, uh, yeah. But Kevinchar Shilain. But now, once the insurance company goes out and makes the payment, rather than you directly, rather than Schwartz directly, insurance, So then, Schwartz is now going to suffer a loss because his premiums have now increased. So in this, from this perspective, so by, by Nussbaum filing the case in secular court to go after the insurance to collect money, which halakhically he doesn't really have the right to collect, so this creates this interesting scenario in which uh, 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 Nussbaum is collecting money which halakha said he didn't deserve, and therefore, since it's not money which halakhically he deserves, so what right does Nussbaum have to end up causing Schwartz a loss by causing an increase in his premiums? Because Haray Hatoveh, he's a global bias, both of Meisharin, Because it turns out that Nussbaum is causing Schwartz a direct loss. It's a direct loss to him by causing the insurance premium to increase. Because he was filing a claim against him, which halachically he doesn't really owe. Because we said at the beginning that halakhically, uh, uh Schwartz is exempt because Nussbaum should have anticipated that there's going to be toys on the stairs. Okay. Let's skip that part. Aval, if he had base, 
But if we adopt the second approach, which is where you're filing a case, where Nussbaum is filing a case not only against Schwartz, but it's also directly against Nussbaum. Uh, sorry, it's directly against uh, their uh, Allstate. It's not only against uh, Schwartz. It's also against his insurance. I'm confusing myself. So when you go ahead and you file that case, so there Schwartz is perfectly with, uh, Nussbaum is perfectly within his right to file that case because he's allowed to file the case against insurance because insurance isn't bound by halacha. Insurance is bound by civil law. And civil law says that Nussbaum has every right to go ahead and collect from the insurance for that. Now, being that Nussbaum was allowed to file the case against the Gentile-owned Allstate uh, insurance company, so he was within his halachic right to pursue that money. Now that the insurance company decided that since they had to pay, they want to go ahead and recover money from uh, Schwartz, so that is considered to be something which is indirect. That's not something which is direct. That's indirect. And in this case, so we're not going to say you're not allowed to indirectly cause somebody else a loss. That's not applicable over here. Because since the uh, uh, since the non-Jew genuinely owes this money because the 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 uh, the secular court is going is bound by what it says in uh, according to civil law, not according to what it says in, in, in halacha. And therefore, uh, okay, so he says that um, Right, so that's going to be uh, so that's going to be a difference uh, between them. Whether or not we're going to say that there's going to be any liability whatsoever for the indirect cause of that loss, and that's going to revolve around whether or not you have the right, uh, which, which perspective we adopt in terms of going after the homeowner's insurance. As Nussbaum going after Schwartz, and Schwartz just has somebody who guarantees that he's going to cover it, or do we say that they're going directly after the insurance and if he's going directly after the insurance, it's going to be uh, no concern of his if it turns out that Schwartz is going to suffer a um, a uh, 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 a loss as a result of that from his insurance premiums going up. Okay, now the last thing is, is um, now that uh, um, Schwartz knows there's a possibility that there is, he's thinking about there's a possibility that he may have to go ahead and he, his insurance premiums may go up in the event that Nussbaum succeeds at filing this case. So Schwartz is thinking to himself, listen, there's no way you're going to be able to go ahead and successfully file this case without my cooperation. I'm going to have to speak to my insurance. I'm going to have to explain to them what's going on. I may have to fill out some paperwork. And I'm not interested in doing any of that busy work, taking up any time on my end of things in order that you should be able to collect your $100,000 from the insurance company when I know that it's going to cost me money. So I'd rather not go ahead and go through the tier cloud. I don't want to be bothered with this at all. If you want to go after the insurance company, you figure out how to do that completely on your own, but don't put that on me, please. 
So now the question is, is there an obligation to go ahead and put such a, uh, um, put an effort in order to assist somebody else to collect? Okay, so we have one last uh, uh, thought about this, one last study over here. So here we have to do a little bit of the Bryson just to get in terms of what Tosos is referring to. Really want to see Tosos, but we need to understand where it's coming from. Okay, the time. So this is Gemara Navodazara Davchaf. Gemara teaches. So number one is the Torah says you're not allowed to eat Nevela. Nevela is a kosher animal which died in a means other than Shechita. We'll just say for simplicity, roadkill. So you see a deer on the side of the road or something like that. So So the Torah says two things that you're going to do with Nevela. One is you could give it to the stranger who lives in your midst as a gift, and he will eat it. Or you could go ahead and you could sell it to a Gentile. So the ger is somebody, it's not a righteous convert, but it's somebody who is committed to uh, to follow the Shev Mitzvah or whatever, and the Nachri is somebody who is the idolater. So we say, so from the, if I just read the Torah, the Pasuk literally, it sounds like I have two options. I could either give it as a gift to the ger, or I could sell it to the Nachri. Okay. So from a literal reading of the Pasuk, I, all I know is I could gift it to the uh, the stranger, the resident alien, I think is how uh, Art Scroll commonly translates it. So I could either gift it to the resident alien or I could sell it to an idolater. How do you know that if you want to sell it to the resident alien and make a little bit of profit on the side, you're allowed to do so? So therefore, in the middle of the Pasuk, you have gifting and you have selling. So those two things go together. How do we know that just as well, if you want to gift it to an idolater, you could do that too? The Pasuk says, So if, again, we take the Pasuk out of context, it says you could gift it so that he'll eat it or sell it to the Nachri. All of that could also be done to the uh, idolater. According to Reb Meir, as we'll see in a moment, so the way Reb Meir reads the Pasuk is, what the Torah allows is, it doesn't make a difference whether or not you're giving this to the uh, the resident alien or whether you're giving it to the uh, idolater. You can either gift it to him or you can sell it to him. All of that is going to be the same. This is the opinion of Reb Meir. Reb Meir says no. He says, no, we're going to take the Pasuk literally. You have two options. Either gift it to the resident alien or sell it to the idolater, but you can't do both. We're not going to start crossing wires. Okay, so uh, the Gemara says, at a certain point, without going into all of that, the Gemara says, seemingly, um, uh, 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 the, the Pasuk, uh, the simple reading of the Pasuk seems to go like Rabbi Yehuda. So why, according to Rabbi Meir, if, according to Rabbi Meir, where you could either gift it or sell it to either the resident alien or to the uh, idolater. So the Pasuk could have written itself in a more efficient and concise manner. So why did the Torah not go ahead and write it in a, a more concise manner? The reason why the Torah presented, worded itself in the manner in which it did is to tell me that, once again, as we talk about very often, the rock, paper, scissors of halacha. So in the rock, paper, scissors of halacha, what we mean to say is that if you have a choice, there's two people in front of you, 
there's a resident alien that you could gift it to, or there's an idolater that you could sell it to. So the Torah prefers if you go ahead and you gift it to the resident alien rather than sell it to the idolater. Okay? So although really you're allowed to either gift it or sell it to either the resident alien or to the uh, to the idolater, if you have a choice between gifting it to the resident alien or selling it to the idolater, the Torah prefers you gift it to the resident alien. Tosos finds this to be absurd. And he says, Tosos right over there in Avodazar, he says, in Tomar, he says, how could the Gemara say this? If a person has an object, he has a bicycle that he wants to sell, he has an electric scooter that he wants to sell, are we going to say, and he has a choice, are we going to say that better to gift? Let's say it's the uh, the green monster. You have an old 15-passenger uh, van. So I have two choices. I could either go ahead and gift it to the resident alien, or I could go ahead and I could sell it to an idolater. Does the Torah really mean to tell me that I have to give gift it to the resident alien rather than selling it for $20,000 to, to an idolater? That's absurd. Forget about uh, uh, what's about. Forget about the novella or anything like that. Uh, do would I say that I have to gift it to a Yisrael rather than sell it to an idolater? Nobody says such halacha that I have to gift everything away to a Jew rather than sell it to an idolater. So why would we pass a what could possibly be pshat? It says Tosos v'yishlomar the dafka novella shena shava el davar muat liYisrael. The, the case where we're going to say gift it away rather than selling it to an idolater, that's limited to something like Nevela, which is basically worthless. Because in a Jewish neighborhood, how much are you going to get for a Nevela? Nobody's buying Nevela anyways, because what's a Jew going to do with a, with a Nevela? What are you going to do with some roadkill? The law you owe the Mitsuyim Beinayim, because with the, the, the circumstance which the Torah is addressing, there is no idolater. There were not very many idolaters that were around, so therefore, for a Jew, this roadkill is worthless. To the resident alien who's not Jewish, so for him, that could be dinner for a week. So therefore, if you have the option between giving it to the uh, to the resident alien or selling it to the idolater, who's probably not there anyways, so then you're better off giving it to the gear because for him, it will be extremely valuable because this is free meat for a week. In other words, the principle which we take from here, the Meshav Allah says, Haray, the principle that this establishes, again, we're going back to the question as to whether or not Schwartz, who's the defendant, does he have to put in any effort whatsoever to assist Nusbam in filing the case so that Nusbam could collect his $100,000? So if Tauber extrapolates from this Gemara in this Tosos, Haray, the principle which we see from here is, Bim Let's say your loss, your effort, or your financial loss is going to be minimal. It'll be just a couple of dollars or something like that. And if you put in that minimal effort, your friend will be able to profit enormously. So you have to be willing to forego or suffer, experience that minor loss. Put in 10, 15 minutes of time. So your friend could collect $100,000. What, what is that really going to cost you at the end of the day? It's not much skin off of your back. And for your friend, it's enormous. And based on this principle, now as we apply it to the case of Nussbaum and Schwartz, in our case of Nussbaum and Schwartz, 
אם יהיה לו קצץ טרחה על ידי מה שהנזק יקבל נזקו מהאינשורנס, in the event that Schwartz is going to have to undergo a little bit of tircha, or even a little bit, a minor financial loss, in order to facilitate that Nussbaum should be able to collect from his insurance. So we expect Schwartz to go ahead and uh, overlook that, to forego that, to be willing to endure that loss or spend that time. In order to go ahead and to provide, to assist the, uh, the Nizak in the, in, in the process. And therefore, as distasteful as it may be for Schwartz to go ahead and assist, because this could end up costing him money each and every month as his insurance premiums go up. But nonetheless, assuming what we said before uh, would, be, would be true, so not only is Schwartz going to have to uh, 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 suffer that financial loss, moving forward in terms of insurance premiums, but he's even going to have to put in the minor amount of effort it's going to take to fill out the paperwork in order to facilitate Nussbaum being able to recover the tens or hundreds of thousand dollars which he could potentially recover by successfully filing, by successfully filing that suit against the, uh, against the insurance company. All righty. I just lost Um, I know my, my, oh, there it is. <laughs> my stop share was in the wrong place, on the wrong screen. Okay, that is.